Publish Your Peak Series 2 is here, a Watch Bite podcast presented by me, Louise Minchin, former BBC Breakfast presenter, who took up sport late in life and is a passionate endurance athlete. Each week, I'll be joined by some of the world's most talented sportswomen and men who achieved extraordinary things. I'll be finding out what it takes, both physically and mentally, to surpass what you think you're capable of to achieve your goals. Tune in to hear these truly inspiring stories and take away the belief that you can achieve your own goals, no matter how big or small. Like and subscribe to listen to a new episode every Wednesday. Push Your Peak, a podcast for real athletes who don't know their limits. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Ironman and endurance athlete John McAvoy. Now, John's story begins way before his professional athletic endeavours. From a very young age, John was drawn into crime. And at 18 years old, he was convicted for armed robbery, getting locked away at one of Britain's most secure prisons for 10 years. During his time in confinement, John found his way out through sport, from doing cell circuits to holding three world records and seven British records on an indoor rowing machine. He speaks openly about his time in prison, the mental and physical struggles, and what motivated him to succeed. More recently, John is doing some incredible work supporting young offenders through the power of sport sport and performance. I promise this will be one of the most empowering conversations. Today we're going to talk to John McAvoy and many of you will have heard his story but I think it's really important John to kind of go back uh, to the beginning because it explains so much about you and your real change of heart about lots of really important things. When you were born your your dad had died actually um, a month before you were born and you were brought up in a life where to be a criminal that was the career choice wasn't it yeah like I grew up in in one I grew up in a very lovely environment with my mum and my sister and my aunties bringing me up um but as I got older a little bit older about eight nine years old my mum's ex-husband got released from prison um he was a prolific arm robber served 16 years in prison um and he basically brought me up as his son and he exposed me to this whole world of um of organized crime from a very young child. Uh, and that whole world become completely normalized to me. Um, and I was very driven as a child. I wanted to be successful. Um, I attached at a young age success to having lots of money. And he had lots of money. And he showed me an obtainable path in which to sort of acquire that wealth. And you just thought that was what you did and how you went about making money. Yeah, it was it was completely normal. Like. I could only say really it was like being on it being on an apprenticeship um I I never had friends my own age from when I was about 14 years old I was out with men that were in their 30s 40s and 50s um and I was completely consumed and, and swallowed up by that whole environment of organized crime from a young kid and it led very quickly actually to you having you went to jail twice um, the second time you went down for conspiracy for armed robbery, you had two life sentences. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, and the first time you went to jail, you rebelled against that system in a very determined manner, didn't you? When I was growing up and obviously I was some organised criminals, this hatred of the system and politicians and banks and uh, and the police and the state was sort of projected onto me and then when I used to go to school my teachers become my authority figures and then I started rebelling against them 
So I had this tremendous amount of hatred towards the system. And then when I went to prison, you actually got a human being locking you in a, in a prison cell. It obviously, it feels very real. And I went into that environment and, and I just pushed back as much as I could against it whilst I was in there. That led to me spending a year in complete isolation. I was in a segregation cell for a year all on my own and always to do every day was read books. And then I started sort of exercising. That's where my journey of sport really begun from that segregation unit. And then the second time you went in, um, you were going, you went down for two life sentences. So that could have meant that you would pretty much, well, unless you rehabilitated, never got out. That is 100% correct. And that was why the judge gave me that sentence because when he did sentence me, he said the likelihood of me being rehabilitated was very remote because of my links to organised crime from a very young age. And he believed the public would always need protecting from me. So he gave me two life sentences. So that meant that they could technically hold me in prison for the rest of my life until I demonstrated to the parole board that I was no longer a risk to the public. Right. So I'm just going to forward mine for everybody. So where you are now, you know, you are an elite athlete. You've done extraordinary things. And we'll come to how you got to that. You, you know, you talk to politicians all the time. So there has been a massive turnaround. Yeah, like it's even sometimes I have to pinch myself. Three years ago, I was invited to 10 Downing Street to speak to Theresa May's policy advising team. And I was sitting in the reception area, 10 Downing Street. Um, so let's talk about the journey into sport, because in some ways that was the key to unlocking things, wasn't it? So you started doing like circuits in your cell the first time you were in jail. And then the yeah. second time you found growing, didn't you? I did. Yes. It was a chance encounter. I went down the prison gym and there was a there was an inmate on a row machine. Um, and he was rowing a million metres for charity and he was down the gym every day. And they allowed him this special sort of dispensation to go to the gym every day because in prison you get limited to the amount of gym sessions you can have per week because of they try to keep wings separate because of gang problems. And I was going through this process of I wanted my life to be different. I, I didn't want to be in prison anymore. I wanted to turn my life around. And I thought to get me off the wing, get me around, get me away from all these negative people that I was around in prison. I could go down the gym every day and go to the gym more. So I started doing this million meter challenge that this inmate was doing. And I did the first month and then I did another month and another million. And the, the prison gym officer said, as long as you keep generating and raising money, you can keep doing it. And then I got to three months. And then one day a prisoner said to me, do you realize like five million meters is equivalent to around across the Atlantic? And I didn't know that. So I thought, well, can I row the extra two million meters? And the prison officers agreed in the gym. And then when I was doing this final two million meters, I had woken up this ability in my body I didn't even know I possessed. And one day, this incredible prison officer called Darren Davis that was a, uh, worked in a gym walked behind me and he looked over my shoulder and he went, that is really quick. And I rode 10,000 meters and the clock stopped. And just as it stopped on the, on the Concept 2 um, ergometer, he just was just behind me. It was just such a chance encounter. And he looked at the monitor and then he said to me how quick it was. And I didn't process I genuinely didn't know what an athlete was like I had no interest in sport as a kid when I was in prison I knew I was fit in prison and people knew me as being this really fit prisoner but I was in this like little bubble like I wasn't in the real world I wasn't competing against other people and this one incredible man saw I had this talent and he went away and then he come back a couple of days later and he gave me all these pieces of paper and they had all the world and British records on an indoor air machine I remember looking at them and I was like, they can't be real because I could already nearly break some of them. And I didn't realise I had this ability locked in my body and I did since I was a kid and it was never used and, and I never was able to express it. And he planted the seed in my head and I went back to my cell and I just thought, Do you know what, I'm going to see if I can ask him if the prison will let me try to attempt some of these records. And I went back to Darren, the prison officer, and he went to the governor and the governor was a really religious man. He was a Christian 
And Darren went to him and I really believe if you allow John the opportunity to try to break some of these records, it could help turn his life around. And he, and he granted me the permission to try to break the records. The first record I attempted to break was the marathon. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about sports nutrition, training. I didn't have heart rate monitors. I didn't understand anything. Like All I knew is I just had to hold that, this number on this round machine for this amount of time and I would break that record. And I remember I got to the last like five or six K of that marathon. And I was like, I was starting to blow up and bonking. And I didn't really know what that was. And Darren got me um, sugar satchels because I didn't have sports nutrition drinks. And Darren gave me like literally raw sugar to eat as I was on this rowing machine. And I ended up breaking that record by like, seven minutes. And it was the most amazing feeling I'd ever felt in my life. And I remember laying on that gym mat and I had this sort of awakening because when I was a kid, I used to think having lots of money because I was so driven. I thought money was success. And it was never about the money. It was always about, I just wanted to be successful at something in my life. And then at that moment on that gym mat, I realized I was one of the best in the UK at this. And that was when I decided to use my body as a vehicle to break me out of that to toxic negative world and become an athlete. Yeah, and not break you out in the sense of getting out of breaking out no, of no. in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering just a little bit about that because, you know, that is about a huge sense of achievement. And also you would have had a massive, overwhelming endorphin high, wouldn't you? Which, of course, you wouldn't probably have known either. No, when I used to sit there and do these sessions on the round machine, I didn't even know what endorphins were. I never, I never heard that word before. But I just used to remember having this like transcendence out of prison. And, and now I understand it is what you call is like runner's high. Be on the rowing machine for hours. And then I'd start suddenly feel like I was bloating. And it was this spiritual awakening where for that two hours or two and a half hours I was on that rowing machine, it literally transcended me out of prison. And it was like a gateway to freedom. And that's how it made me feel. And when I was pushing my body in this element of distress and pain, and then you realize how strong the mind is and how I kept pushing through it. And it, it made me feel alive. Like it genuinely woke something up inside me. And I love that feeling of pushing myself physically to the point where I could keep pushing. And even though my body wanted me to stop, I could keep pushing through that pain. And it completely woke up this whole new um, feeling to me that I never experienced in my whole life up to that point. Yeah, for us normal athletes or people listening to this podcast, I mean, you go beyond pain barriers that, you know, other people would stop at. Yeah, and, and bear in mind, Louise, when I was a kid at school, like, I was the worst kid in my school at PE. I was overweight. I never did sport as a child. I didn't realise I had this ability locked in my body. I really, really didn't realise that. But like I said, in my case, it made me feel alive and it's about the appreciation of our bodies are physically able to do these incredible things. And it doesn't matter how quick you go. It's the fact that how able you are to do it. I think also um, something that's really I have found over the last few years and my my journey in endurance sport is not as extreme as yours, but I have done, you know, the extreme triathlons. Um, it's not just is it about that moment when you make it. It's all those hours that you had which brought positivity to your life in a difficult place the training is part of the a really important rewarding part of that whole journey 100 percent, and it's and also do you know what sport and the training is the incredible people it brings into your life and experiences along the way um and i and I, when people say the power of sport i think sometimes i used to be guilty of it like i'd forget and I'd, I'd i'd base too much of it on the end result and it would all be about where i finished in a race but when you re when you think about it it doesn't really matter like no one really cares if you win a race or come last. It's about you. And like you say, it's the journey getting to that point and the privilege it is to physically be able to do these things. 
because one day we we're all probably not going to be able to do it to the level in which we do it at the moment so it's such a gift and it's something that we should all appreciate that we're able to do it. I can't sort of continue without mentioning, because you've just reminded me there, that um, your relationship with, let's talk about what sort of length of life is is a is a particular one as well, because your dad wasn't alive when you were born, and also a friend of yours died, didn't they, while you were in prison, and that really had a very deep effect, a profound effect on you. Yeah, from when I started going to primary school when I was a little kid, and kids would tease me, and my mum, explained to me that my dad had died and that's why I didn't have a dad that was this event in childhood that sparked this incredible ambition to achieve something in my life because I knew I wasn't going to live forever and then when my friend died when I was in prison when I was uh, 26 years old that was the catalyst for me then looking at my own mortality sitting in prison realizing I was just wasting my life and and human life is so precious and it's my days on earth and I didn't want to be in this environment anymore. I want my life to be positive. I didn't want to live this existence of being in prison and being around negative, toxic people. Um, and that that had a profound impact on the way that then sort of led to me rowing. And do you know what, Louise? I know, honestly, like I, I genuinely regret how the things I did when I was younger. But I genuinely don't regret a day I spent in prison because I learned so much about myself and, and it's made me the person I am today. And the person you are today, you're very passionate, aren't you, about changing it for young people who are in your position or potentially going down that kind of route. And you're doing a lot of work around that, aren't you? Everyone's got the ability to change. Everyone can do it. All these 90,000 people in prison can turn their lives around if they're given the right opportunities. And it's about showing people what's possible like if you make poor life choices you can always turn it around and achieve something positive with your life it is hard and it's difficult but we're all able physically able to do it um what's the most I mean gosh there's so much it's very naughty this isn't it so what what is the most important thing because is it that you reach children when they're really young is that the time to turn you know to stop things happening because once somebody's gone made those poor life choices it's a much harder path isn't it 100 percent um i totally get like prevention is better than cure and if you can stop young people from ending up going to prison you've already won the battle um to a degree so that's providing opportunities for young people so like in the summer holidays um i've got an initiative called open doors where we open up schools across the uk in some of the most dis disadvantaged areas and we turn them into community hubs and local sports organizations go in they deliver um, programming to young people positive mentorship they give them healthy nutritious food and it is to it basically expose them to positive role modeling and people that will point and direct them in the right direction in life and be there for them. This podcast is brought to you by Wattbike. Push your performance this year with Wattbike. Whether you're training for a sportive or simply want to get fitter, the award-winning smart bike Wattbike Atom could be your perfect training partner. With integrated gear shifters, real ride feel and gold standard accuracy, this is the ultimate indoor bike to kickstart your indoor training. You can measure and track your cycling performance on the free Watch Bike Hub app and get real-time feedback on your pedaling technique too. Expertly crafted and designed in the UK, Watt bikes are tough enough to withstand elite athletes in training while beautiful enough to sit in your own home. Discover how Wattbike can help you reach your goals this year. Just head to wattbike.com. Okay, so let's talk about the records because how many did you break? Was it eight? I set, I, I set three world records and I broke eight British records. At one point, I think I, there, I nearly had every single British record 
other than the 2,000 and 5,000 metres. So everything from 10 up to like the longest continuous row, which was like 45 hours. But the hardest record of, of them all, I'd say physically on my body, was the 100,000 metres. It was hard. It was hard because it, it made it difficult because one, the intensity of it, it was like you was on it from the very get-go. And two, because I didn't have access to like sports nutrition, that made it very hard to like get the calories into my body and the electrolytes because I kept cramping up in my back. And I remember when I got to that last 15K, even now I would say it was one of the most mentally challenging, hardest things I've ever done because you're 15K out from the finish. I was well under the world record, but then my body's really started to break down and the cramps got so severe that then you're so near the end and I couldn't, I haven't got it in me to stop. But then I didn't, I didn't so you, you're wrestling with yourself. You're thinking, I'm so close to breaking his record. And I just kept drawing back on um, when I got arrested and this police officer that arrested me as a kid. And I, I, I thought that this is my chance to actually do something with my life. And, and that was what that motivation for that last 15 can. I remember just shutting my eyes and just pulling that, pulling that handle towards me. There's so many things I talk about that, but you, all the other rowers around the UK and the world must have been pretty annoyed to know that there's this guy. I'm not sure they knew you were doing it from prison, did they? But there's an extraordinary guy doing this. Yeah, yeah, but like what, because what happened, the prison, when the prison used to submit my records, they just said I, I submitted them from um, Nottingham. And not the fact that I was in a prison in Nottingham. <laughs> so they never put down the actual location. So if you looked online, and it was actually quite funny because when I got released from prison, because I didn't have access to the internet in there, um, I would see like there were certain other people that were trying to break my records, posting stuff on YouTube and creating YouTube videos, trying to attempt to break my record. And it was quite bizarre to see because I didn't realise the impact it had outside of prison, really, until I got released. Yeah, oh, which is probably a good thing in some ways, isn't it? Because that brings a different, <laughs> yeah. a different kind of pressure. Um, so um, so rowing was your thing. Um, and then, I mean, you, you know, you've done so much since then. You're, you're a cyclist, you're a trail runner, um, Ironman. Where should we start with that? Was it cycling that got you into Ironman or how did that happen? No, well, what got me into Ironman, when I was in prison, you're able to have a TV in your cell. And on a Sunday morning, there used to be a programme on Channel 4 called Trans world sport and i watched an episode of trans world sport and they were showing the kona ironman world championships and i didn't even know what this sport was i never heard of it before like, i had no interest in sport as a kid like i said an endurance sport but at this point i started reading lance armstrong's autobiography whilst i was in prison and i started reading autobiography of james cracknell the olympic rower and then i realized when i was reading these books i had the same characteristics as a lot of these elite athletes like i was driven i was focused and and I thought, actually, like, I'm, I'm like this group of people here. And I'm, I never, I was never exposed to this group of people. So when I started getting in this passion and developing this love for endurance sport, I start watching Transworld Sport. I see this episode um, that they're, they're featuring the Ironman World Championships. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. Like how people can run that fast a marathon off riding 112 miles. So then that put the seed in my head. And I thought, one day I'm always going to do one of those races. And then when I got released in 2012, I got out just after the Olympic Games. My dream at that point was to be like a world-class rower. I got released from prison on a Friday. I joined London Rowing Club in Putney, which was a high-performance centre for lightweight rowing. So, so for people that don't row, if you're under 75 kilos as a male, you're classed as lightweight. So this, this place in London, this rowing club, was a high-performance feeder centre into the GB National Rowing Squad, basically. I got released on the Friday. I went there on a Saturday. I was a novice rower. I didn't tell anyone about my past or anything. And I can remember on the Wednesday that like when the, the coach let me join the squad, Sophie Hoskins, I remember watching her 
in prison at the London Olympics and she won a gold medal. She was sitting on a rowing machine next to me. And then there was a, there was a lightweight rower called Rob Williams that won a silver medal for GB. And he rode in the light men's lightweight four. And he was the other side of me. And I was like, this just doesn't feel real. I joined this rowing club. And honestly, like I gave it everything I could. And the support of that rowing club was overwhelming. Like I, I remember the coach was there and he, they really did help me to become the best rower I could become. But what I realised with a sport like rowing, it's kind of like swimming. If you don't do it as a kid, it's so technical. Like physiologically, it didn't matter how good I was. It was about being able to transfer that power and fitness into a rowing boat and the technical side and the technical finesse. I would never have got to that level in time. I would have been too old by the time I ever really got that good at rowing. So then I thought, what am I going to do? Like, I can't do a team sport because that's going to hold me back. So then I thought, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an Ironman. So I went online. Because I got a life sentence, I wasn't allowed to leave the United Kingdom at that point. So the only Ironman race I could enter was Ironman UK. It sold out. So I had to get a charity spot. It was six weeks out from the race. <gasps> I had no. to go on eBay and I bought this bike and it was two sizes too big for me. It was massive. But I had, I had about £600 I could afford to buy this bike off eBay. I got a wetsuit that was a rental and I started teaching myself to swim in the serpentine down in High Park. I used to watch YouTube videos. I remember I thought, right, I've got to do a triathlon before I do this Ironman just to get used to what it feels like to swim, to cycle, to run. So I did one of these races at Dorney and I'll never ever forget this. I did this race and when I finished, there was like guys standing around and we were all just chatting. And one of them was like, oh, it's your first triathlon. I said, yeah, yeah. And he's like, what, what? races have you got next I said I'm doing Ironman UK and he went oh like how many Ironmans have you done I said like none like this is my first triathlon and he was like are you mad so when I turned up that day I had never swum 3.8k I'd never ridden 112 miles the only thing I had done was run more than a marathon and then I went there on that day and I remember running down that red carpet in Bolton Town Centre and it was smashing down with rain and I remember having this overwhelming sense of 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 pride and I remember feeling really emotional like I could feel myself welling up and I was choking up because I just thought I watched this program on TV in prison and now I'm at Ironman UK and I've just finished it and and I got the bug for it and I thought I'm just I'm going to pursue this I'm, I'm going to I'm going to see how good I can become at this sport. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, now so I know that you, you you've chosen to go and live um, in Alp d'Huez which is any cyclist and lots of people who are on what bikes or use Zwift or watch any kind of cycling you know that is a, an epic place to live isn't it and an epic oh, mountain to climb. It's, it's amazing like, I'm here to do the Alp d'Huez triathlon and that got cancelled um, because of Covid and stuff and I just fell in love with this place. And I was like, I love the mountains. And, and I've never felt in my life so free. Honestly, like it completely changed me. I become a vegan living here because I never grown up around animals as a kid. And then suddenly I'm seeing like wild animals everywhere. And I'm, and it just profoundly changed me being in nature. And I, I thought, right, again, I thought, do you know what? I'm, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. And I, I decided to get a residency permit. And um and yeah, I moved here. <laughs> oh, and you love you love those mountains, don't you? Yeah, it's it, I've never felt any I've never felt a connection to anything in my life how I feel towards the mountains and being in nature. Like it completely changed my life. Um, let's talk about um what bike as well because you have used them, haven't you? And and what what's that like for you? Is that like a suffer fest? What is your what's your relationship? Uh, if if only you knew my reputation in rowing. So I used to sit on that what bike at the rowing club 
and this is not an exaggeration when I was training for Ironman, I would do between four to six hour sessions, no Zwift, no music, just looking at those numbers. Because obviously I've conditioned myself over the years, like when I was sitting in those ergometers, like the round machines, my time perspective gets really warped and I, I got a very high boredom threshold. So you don't get bored? I don't I don't feel it the same as other people. I could sit on a watt bike for six hours because I remember rowers would come in in the morning and do their sessions and then go off, come back in the afternoon and I was still doing the same session. I do love using them. And and even just if, if you give me the opportunity between using a watt bike and a turbo trainer, I would always pick a watt bike because I just feel the connection is much better. And I just like the feeling of that constant power transfer. I mean, I just dread to think what your power numbers are because they'll be massive. <laughs> they were good. I could hold 360 watts for half hour. But you have to remember this is again, because again, I used to say this to triathletes. So like I'm at a rowing club, right, which was a high performance center. So you've got Olympic rowers, guys that are lighter than me, pushing like 380, 385 watts, like 72 kilos. And then I used to say this to people that do triathlon. They go, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. I said, I'm telling you now, they can. But obviously rowers have got a reputation for the fact that they are able to really push themselves and suffer. Yeah. Um. So what I'm going to take away from that, because I've done, what have I done? I think my longest session is probably about six hours inside. Um. But I was doing it for a charity event and I did 100 miles and that was... But that's that's an interesting thing about low boredom threat, you know. So being able to not be bored is a massive <laughs> yeah. plus. When you spend a long, I wouldn't recommend this to people, but when you spend a long time sitting in a prison cell, you do develop this high boredom threshold. Yeah, not to be recommended. Um, so tell me about you. So what's next? Because you've got lots of fun stuff planned, haven't you? I've seen you doing. Uh, you've been doing mountain running. What What's your next plan? So, um, in regards of sporting stuff. Um, I'm going to do race across France next year on my bike. Which has got a massive elevation, hasn't it, as well? Tell us what. Uh, huge. It's 33,000 metres of climbing and it's 2,500 kilometres. So you start down in south of France and you head, you head up to just outside Calais, it finishes. Um, you've got, I think, 11 days to complete it. I would say the, the guys that are at the front that, are, that will be in it to win it will be doing it in five days. What's your plan? To try to be as near up the, the, the front as what I can be. <laughs> I'm going to go all in. And then after I've done that, I'm, I um, I qualified to do the UTMB, which is a mountain trail race in Chamonix next summer. I qualified to do the 55k ultra. So I, I do what I did this year because this year I focused on bike stuff at the beginning part of the year. And I did the Tour de Mont Blanc, which was in July. And then from there, I transitioned my fitness across and started trail running. And I did, I've done quite a lot of trail ultras since. Well, two, I've done two. And that's 55 miles, is it okay? But no, it's 55 kilometres. Right. About 4,000 metres of climbing. Oh, gosh, honestly. Um, so that's all your kind of sporting things. And presumably, you're, you know, you're in a great place to be training for those as well. And what about um, all those kind of you know, what we've talked about, you know, but that message about redemption, uh, rehabilitating other people? What's your what would be your what's your big goal for that? So I want to basically get as many sports initiatives into prisons as I can. This isn't just in the United Kingdom. This is I want to try to use my story and amplify it across Europe and, and, and if I can across the world. And it has had an impact. There's prisons in Australia now that are using indoor rowing machines and they, they're using them as part of a competition and they're, they're racing each other. Um, in the United Kingdom, there's now an indoor rowing league where prisoners compete against each other in different prisons on rowing machines. I'm visiting a prison in Belgium that's got an e-cycling team. My plan is in the United Kingdom. We want to create one of the first e-cycling teams for young offenders in Felton Young Offenders. Um, we've purchased the Watt bikes. They're in the prison. So now we're just ready to activate it. 
and start training the young offenders up to start racing on Zwift against people outside of prison. And I just want to use my story, really, and use my life as just a way to show people what's possible. And like I said, to, to leverage opportunities so other people can walk through these doors with me and, and help them lead the lives that they're capable of leading. Oh, well, listen, John, it's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Just finally, before we go, one, you know, what's the one piece of advice people listening to this? Because your your story is extraordinary in lots of different levels. Um, you know, this is about pushing your peak. What's your piece of advice? I would just say, remember, we're not going to live forever. We've got an amazing opportunity to really experience the world through using the power of sport and using our bodies. And just do the best you can do. Keep yourself fit. Keep yourself healthy. Surround yourself with healthy, fit individuals that got a positive outlook on life. And I do believe joining sports clubs, being a part of a sports community can really help with that. Uh, so what's your guilty pleasure after a savage what bike session? Uh, my guilty pleasure would probably, do you know what, it'd be quite boring, actually, but it would be hummus and um, and crisps. I've got a terrible weakness for hummus and crisps. What song gets you pumped for a workout? The Prodigy. Star, uh, fire starter. Who or what is your motivation? Just trying to show to other people, really, what's possible in life. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Believe in yourself. John, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you very much. And I really hope that one day we meet on the start of a triathlon. <laughs> uh, I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> Next week, I'll be joined by the Queen of Gravel in the US and Watt Bike Ambassador, Alison Tetrick. She shares what it was like growing up representing the USA cycling team and how a sequence of crashes on the track has changed her life. This podcast was brought to you by Watchbike. The Wattbike Atom is the ultimate indoor bike to kickstart your training. No matter what your training or fitness goals are, the free Wattbike Hub app can get you there. Check out watchbike.com to push your performance edge.